What's that dog thing from on your desk? <laughs> You're the first person to ask, and I've recorded with probably 20 people now. Okay. On the other podcast with my buddy, we I cooked up a bit where it was his birthday, and since we weren't in the same place, I was going to celebrate his birthday by just doing more progressively selfish things on camera. So, like, I started with... Uh, um, like a, a hat and a couple of balloons on the desk and we got into something and from out of frame, I pulled in uh, like a, a big fancy cupcake with a candle in it, you know, and started eating that in front of him. And then <laughs> third, I lowered down a pinata on a, <laughs> on a string and tore it open. And that's the head and then ate a oh. bunch of candy. I don't think I've seen a pinata in about mm, eight years, maybe. Walmart has them. You can okay. <laughs> about, about 20 bucks. You can grab a, uh, this is Paw Patrol. Someone from Paw Patrol <laughs> and, uh, hung on to the head. So there you go. Good. How are you? How are errands? Fine. Just getting Drano and such exciting things. I, uh, as another adult, I need some Drano actually. Thanks for, for joining again. How you doing, bud? Good. How are you doing? I am okay. It's been a busy day. Third show of the night that I've recorded. Uh, third show of the day. So <laughs> I've, I've done most of a month's work uh, just hanging out with people and chit-chatting today. So it's nice to have you on to kick back and uh, close things out with. So that's great. Fun. What are you... You're back at work now, right? Like, we, we yeah, keep up, yeah. but uh, are you working remotely now, or what are you up to? I would say I mostly work remotely. I have to go in the office about once a week. Sometimes, but it's not, um, I just take the train downtown. It's not that difficult. But yeah, I've been doing uh, technical writing for a software company lately. So yes. still kind of onboarding, only been there about three weeks. It, it does sound like a big difference, though, between working from home and taking the train downtown. It, it is, but I only take the train downtown one day a week. But it's still enough where the uh, we we have two dogs and three cats at home, and they certainly notice. Because <laughs> yeah. my wife is having to go in the office um I think pretty much every day uh, in a few weeks here. So I have worked with a lot of people who had to go home during lunch to take care of their, their pets. Are you, are you that kind of family or can they at least maintain? For um, the day? They'll, they'll maintain well enough. I'll put it that way. Uh, so it's just, yeah, with the time it takes, I mean, it's almost uh, a 45 minute train ride. I think if there's a lot of, traffic and so forth but i'd rather do that than go downtown and pay 20 bucks for parking and and have a lot of traffic and with the um the mileage of my car isn't that great and with the price of gas i'd, I'd rather just uh do the train still uh portland area right yes yeah yep still in portland so you guys are hopping there you got got a lot going on um we do we do it's uh, you know things are starting to open up again and um especially with some conventions that i've been trying to speak at so that's been Good. You know, I hope the, I hope the crowds open up some. And it's interesting to see uh, going, I hadn't worked downtown in about, uh, I don't know, like four years maybe on a regular basis. And just seeing how much of the stores are closed and what's still open. Even the uh, the food carts, which, which are, there's still a lot downtown, but it's a lot less than it used to be. I think you're the second person I've seen today using that microphone. Is that some new popular microphone I need to know about? <laughs> Um, I wouldn't recommend it. I, I'm trying to get a better one. This is a, what the hell is it? The Elgato Wave 3. Oh. So, you streamers, yeah. Yeah, 
It's, you know, I, I like the retro design of it, but for the features, it's just a bit overpriced and I'd rather put the money into a real microphone, I guess. That's what caught my eye. I did. I do like the design of it. That's neat. Yep. And what about the headphones? Oh, these are mono price retro headphones for like 20 bucks, but I like, um, they're very comfortable and they sound pretty good. So it seems like no matter what set of headphones I get, I break up within a few years. Last we spoke on the podcast, at least, cause we, I mean, we chit chat all the time, but uh, sure, la- sure. last you were on, you had just done your first writing for Polygon. So what, what else That's have right. you done since then? Um, you know, weird 2022 has been very strange. The, um, the owner of the small publisher I used, uh, died. So, I've been pitching a new project to some other small publishers and um, we'll see how that goes. I might do a Kickstarter for that. Uh, But I do have a piece for Polygon coming out whenever the Ninja Turtles compilation comes out, the Kawabunga collection. Yeah. It's a piece that that ties into that that sort of talks about some of the lesser known titles in that collection. Um, The, what is it? The Shredder's Revenge, the new game came out. So I'm thinking maybe we'll get an announcement about when this other compilation comes out. Uh, weirdly, the new game is like $25 and the compilation is $40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which seems a little steep in my opinion, but I, I didn't really have this figured out until this week, but if you follow me on the podcast closely, you can catch me not really having straight in my head, the difference between the shredders game that came out and the compilation. I didn't right. really know that they were separate things. So I thought everything was kind of together that's how far behind I am on it. And I'm still loving it all. Shredders is really cool. Um, yeah, I haven't played it yet, but it looks good. And I mean, the marketing for all that stuff was around the same time. I can see why you'd get confused. Uh, I also have been doing some YouTube videos sort of on news on the uh, Return to Monkey Island game coming out. Yeah. And the news on that has been very slow. So, um, but the publisher just finally officially added the game to uh, their roster, to their website, Devolver Digital. Uh, recently, even though the game was announced three months ago. So maybe we'll get a, a release date or something, but that's supposed to come out sometime this year. That's going to be great, by the way. I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, it was funny to me because I caught when they first put a job listing up about this a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, oh yeah? my God, you guys, look, they're they're going to make another game. And everybody <laughs> was kind of like, uh, yeah, I mean, that'd be great. Okay. I guess. And then like we, all this time passed and they're like, guys, we got, it's here. It's coming soon. Everybody's like, I can't believe they're making another game. I'm like, I just, but I just, uh, anybody? No. So, so when you saw the announcement, it mentioned monkey Island in there. Like it was that specific to be fair. I don't think it mentioned monkey Island. I think I speculated monkey Island, mm-hmm. but I said like, for sure, terrible toy box is ramping up development and that's either going to be. Yep. You know, a Monkey Island thing, uh, something um, connected to Thimbleweed Park, perhaps. But it should have been exciting no matter what. Like, I was excited. So, Yeah. Did you see that uh, Ron Gilbert's reaction to people being mad about the art style on the new Monkey <laughs> Island no. game? No, I need to see that. He, he was so mad, he took down his blog at GrumpyGamer.com, which has been there for a long time. And he put it back up with just, like, two entries. And one of them was this long essay about how you know he picked the art style for a very specific reason and how all the other games have different art styles and just because thimbleweed park was was pixel graphics doesn't mean that the new monkey island has to have pixel graphics Mm -hmm. 
And, and, and this is, these are all, you know, all the internet reaction. It's so easy to do all these negative videos, uh, which a lot of people do. And it's based on just a few screenshots and the trailer had barely any, any animation. <laughs> That's true. I, I think one, once we start getting footage and once the game comes out, you can see the voice acting in there and the puzzles and stuff within the context. Mm-hmm. I think you can get more, uh, more thoughtful, uh, analyses of, of such things. But there'll still be people that complain because it is the internet. I mean, when uh, I don't, I don't know if you remember, but um, have you played the Monkey Island games much? Uh, not as much as the super fans, but I've definitely kind of followed along. Yeah, yeah. So like when when the third one, Curse of Monkey Island, came out, people were making fun of the art design at the time. The internet, social media, was much less than what it is now. Yeah. And and now people consider that you know one of the better looking games of the series and really iconic with how the characters look. So. You never know. Hindsight's twenty twenty with these things, and uh, it's been a long time since there's been one. And Ron Gilbert, no one ever thought he'd do one again. So, yeah. Well, Ron's a funny guy because uh, when I had David Fox on the podcast, just to talk about like everything uh, he's done, and then sort of peripherally um, talk about Thimbleweed Park, of course, to kind of promote that. Uh, we had our podcast chat. It was great. He's awesome. Um, he was very gracious about promoting it and letting people know that he had done it and everything. And he was one of the interviews I sort of edited down and cleaned up for the book. And right. in the book, he mentioned Ron. And so I kind of had Ron's account as a footnote because we had mentioned his tag, but Ron hadn't tweeted anything in years. So in my book, there's a footnote mm. as if Ron Gilbert was probably never going to tweet again. <laughs> but I said, you can follow uh, Grumpy, Gamer, Grumpy Gamer in case he ever comes back to it. And now he's as active as ever. So that kind of worked out, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's oh, and congrats with your book being on the story bundle, by the way. I mean, oh, they, it's, uh, they, they have a nice selection of, of books there. And whenever they do the gaming ones, it's always a good cross section of uh making up books or art books or or indie game dev or or what have you. So that was awesome because I've been buying and reading those story bundle deals for 10, 15 years, probably a long time. Cool. That's great. It'd be, it'd be fun to have somebody on the podcast about, you know, monkey Island. Uh, I don't know if I've got enough pull to do that anymore or not, but we'll, you know, we'll see. I will be playing it because I, I love games like that. And especially like the indie crowd, that's a very, very popular genre, even still. Uh, everybody wants to make a, a point-and-click adventure game now, and right. yeah. it, it can be done now a little easier, and people like, you know, trying their hand at it, so. Well, when, I mean, this is, shows how old uh, we are, but, like, when YouTube came out, I was just finishing up college in uh, 2005, mm-hmm. and, and with YouTube tutorials, I find it so much easier to learn these things before you had to buy these, like, Sam's Teach Yourself C++ in 100 Days, these thousand page books with typos where the source code didn't work and all this stuff. So it's, uh, it's a lot, it's a lot more of these low code or no code, uh, game maker things than there used to be, which means a, there's a lot more crap out there, but B it's, um, everyone has to start somewhere. And if that's what it takes for someone to make a game, uh, so be it. I don't think, you know, everything has to be a one man band. Everything has to be from scratch. You have all those game jam uh, things. And, uh, well, Ron Gilbert might be, tricky to get you know i bet you could get like uh, dominic armado the voice of guybrush threepwood i think wouldn't be too hard to get he's uh he was a food critic i'm not quite sure what he's doing now but he uh comes back from the monkey island games that's a fun life food critic and voiceover artist 
people yep. do people have such fascinating lives <laughs> like it's a great <laughs> time to just have a variety of things that you do i love that definitely i uh it's funny you mentioned the books like i just a couple of weeks ago finally recycled my old um unreal engine like two something or three like around the <laughs> beginning of the unreal development kit giant giant books they look like phone books and there yeah. were like two or three yeah. of them like learn the unreal development kit or whatever and finally it was like i I couldn't even really donate these like no one can use this for anything anymore and i just into the recycling bin you know right we um here in portland oregon we have this big book called powell's bookstore it's like a six-story bookstore there used to be a a, a shoot off of it that was just technical books hmm. but very quickly they went out of business the, the technical book section because there's not much use the gaming stuff, maybe sometimes you see people buy old old uh, hint guides or magazines for nostalgia, but who wants uh, a doorstop of a book about you know Microsoft Visual C plus plus two dot five or something? It it doesn't. <laughs> maybe someone would, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, for like irony purposes or uh, just you know nostalgia, you you could move a copy here or there, but that's that's no way to survive as a writer. I can tell you that. But uh, no. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at it now. I've just got a just a packed bookshelf because, uh, like you said, I finished college in 2005 as well. Uh, YouTube not quite there, and when it first started, we didn't know. We didn't know if that was going to turn into anything or not, or be another abandoned Google project in a couple of years. It didn't really fit the model of what they were doing at the time, and uh, you know, we we had to we had to learn Flash to host videos online. Yes, kind of. Yeah. I feel like we've talked about that. We have, we have, you know, Flash was big, uh, Real Player was still around. Yeah. And and that was before YouTube, and neither of those things uh, are around. I think with Flash, there's been some effort to, um, you know, convert some of those indie games to HTML5 uh, somehow. Mm-hmm. But but Newgrounds especially had so much crazy stuff. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean it's all worth keeping, but it, it existed at some point. So it's, yeah. uh, it, it's very strange what you know, what survives history and what, what doesn't. And I'm glad we have services like steam and good old games and some of these other ones that, that preserve the history, even though if it's just a drop in the bucket compared to all the stuff that was released. I mean, so many of the licensed titles uh, to bring back uh, Ninja Turtles and, and, you know, some of this other stuff just never came out. Like when a movie would come out, it would always get like six games on six different systems and they'd all be different. Yeah. And that has not been the case for a while. No, it'll be like, uh, what, a $20 skin on Fortnite. It's such a good time to be involved in this stuff because, I mean, Steam, we don't, younger people won't appreciate it, but like we came up playing computer games at a time when you could easily go buy something on the shelf at the store, take it home and find out you absolutely couldn't run it. No matter what you did, yeah. your computer was not going to do it, not compatible, whatever. Steam you at least know you're probably going to get this thing to work, you know? And back then, you know, you, you buy something off the shelf, whether it's $10 or, or $70 for some of the big CD-ROM stuff. And uh, there was no return policies. There was nothing. Like, you were just screwed. If you were stuck with something that just didn't work on your system because you didn't have enough uh, free extended RAM and DOS 6.0 or something, like, it... it yeah, stuff used to be a lot more of a pain in the ass, and that was some kind of gatekeeping. I think now stuff is more accessible, and um, with the streaming stuff with games, I think it it has 
helped renewed uh, an interest in, in the older stuff. Uh, and, and, and you see, I'm like really surprised, like some of the stuff that's, that's popular, whether it's uh, Minecraft or, oh, what's that damn RPG with the skeleton with the stupid jokes? Uh, Undertale. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, it looks really simple and kind of ugly looking, I, I would assume, to modern people. But then that's considered, you know, kind of like modern classics. So, yeah, it's it's cool because, I mean, we can we can we have better access to older games than we've ever had between good old games and Steam. And um, we've got ways for people who, you know, like you say, don't don't know the big programming stuff, aren't big super uh, serious developers yet like we have ways you can try your hand at it if you're more of a story person and want to create something or you're more of a uh, designer like there's ways for those people to make experiences we're all better off for it you know it's i i think it's a it's a great time despite the you know ocean of oversaturation you know how that comes along with it but we're still i think we're still seeing the best of the best and having bet more better experiences as a result now Right. Boy, what's some of the other stuff we talked about last time? I want to make sure uh, you're I know you're writing stuff. You, every once in a while, I get a sneak peek of something from you. But um, yep. have you done any more uh, small Kindle books? Anything like that lately? I had some ideas for stuff. I just need to get off my ass and, and do them. It's been such a crazy year. You know, I spent about six months working for a uh, a cryptocurrency NFT gaming company. And whenever I mention that to people, they do like the vampire cross <laughs> sign and hiss at me and, and things. And um, I, I learned a lot from it, even though it, it wasn't the, the best fit for, for various reasons. But I do, um, you know, so I'm doing kind of this like working on this kind of fiction thing I showed you a bit of kind of inspired by that. And I'm also just thinking I could do something kind of more free form with kind of essays about games I've played or I might focus it on games based off movies or something kind of these essay stuff, something I can pump out kind of quicker to have more stuff uh, out there because for various reasons, the books I have on sale, I don't get money from anymore. So yeah, not, not that I was making a living off them, but uh, it would be nice to just have some passive income that even if it's a dollar or $10 or something that always helps. Dude, I feel awful. I like I've, interacted with a fair number of writers at this point and you know a lot of us keep up with each other uh in the sort of space but i don't know anybody who has gone through quite what you're going through now with that where it's like it's, it's so specific yeah that i i wouldn't wish it upon anyone but you don't um go into these things expecting this to happen or at least it to happen so soon yeah and it's so like I, i'm just thankful i retained the rights to that stuff and i should probably work on republishing that stuff uh first yeah. And um do the new stuff afterwards instead of trying to do 20 projects at once, which is what I tend to do. And like you're one of the few people who I think is making excellent use of um not just Kindle specifically but like platforms like Kindle. Like if for writers who want to put smaller stuff out and not be too bogged down in a big heavy long-term project and just be kind of nimble write a little bit of something more than, you know, a couple articles worth, put it up on mm -hmm. Kindle. They, they've got, they've got room for that and they've got readers for that. So I feel like people who want to put out s sort of mid-sized writing projects, like that's, that's something I kind of want to get into as well. Cause 
okay, it, it might not make a killing, but it's not going to hurt, you know? No, and you can do things that are really hyper-specific or niche that maybe a, even a small publisher might not be interested in. Mm-hmm. And, and and you see um, even people, like, I think of like a Chuck uh, Wendig, who did a lot of Star Wars novels and stuff. He still self-publishes maybe like a fourth of his stuff that he comes out with just because a, a part of it, I think he just doesn't want to deal with the bullshit of a publisher and them taking such a big percentage of it. But, you know, he'll do things like, you know, writing advice or, or this or that, these kind of smaller things, self-published in, in the mixture with these, you know, kind of books like um, Star Wars or things, Darth Vader or things you find on the bookstore, on the, you know, on the shelf in a bookstore or on Amazon.com as kind of more mainstream stuff. So I think people are just having to diversify in, in a lot of respects. Oh yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, for for book fans like us, we we come up reading from the the big five publishers and all that stuff. And we, we come up with dreams of like someday I'll write for Simon and Schuster. It'll be the most amazing thing. And like <laughs> here I am doing this podcast. And when they and I still like them as a company a lot, but when they have authors in this space, they come to me and they go, "Would you talk to this author?" And so I think well, like that's cool. It it is. It turned out to be like. I wouldn't have even thought to put that on a bucket list to like collaborate with them on stuff. But then also it's like maybe self-publishing is okay. If I'm already working this hard on, you know, maintaining connection with, you know, listeners and people who are into this kind of stuff, like it's, and it's, it's been great, you know? So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to tell people what to do in terms of, should I go for a deal with a publisher? Maybe you know, a lot of, a lot of people who do are very happy. Um, my number one advice for people who come to me and say like, what was the experience like self-publishing? I tell them, I can't tell you for sure to do it, but don't be afraid of it is, is my thing. Like it turned out to be very approach approachable. And the first time you do it, you learn so much that, you know, it's a thing I could do now. I feel comfortable with it. You know, it, you know, I, I have a, uh, a friend who she's written two novels and she has representation. She has an agent. And and nothing's published, and it's nothing against the quality of her work or her agent. It's just it. There's so much out there in trying to sell something, especially from someone that's unknown. It's just it's uh, an uphill battle, even if you do know people. <laughs> I talked to uh, this will this will be a show a couple of weeks old when this comes out. That's the problem of recording many things in a couple of days. But um, I talked to somebody who works representing influencers and streamers as an agent today for the first time i didn't it's one of those things like if i had sat there and thought about it i would think of course that must exist but we got to actually break that down and it was it was fascinating like it's funny the the new stuff that requires that sort of older recipe that older format of like you need a manager who's going to negotiate things on your behalf look out for your best interests and stuff what a what an odd time because we're still trying to do the old stuff I I still love books. I'm still a big reader. I still want to be an author and stuff. But like, there's all this other stuff to deal with. Like, should I be more focused on trying to get deals in content creation and stuff? I don't know. Who knows? You know, right? And there there's um, too much to choose from in, in all senses of the word. And at the end of the day, I, I think of it like uh, like The Sims, where you have that meter of time for the day, and some of it's sleeping, and some of it's eating and uh, work and then whatever little you have left over to spend on your own stuff, you can choose to, uh, to do what you want with to a point. And um, I mean, yeah, you mentioned the, the, 
thing with the uh, influencers. Like I, I was working at a convention um, when I was working for this gaming company in, in December in Las Vegas at the Aria hotel and uh, had a lot of people there and people that were press had a certain color lanyard. However, they had press and influencers with the same color lanyard, but you could tell which was which because of how they dressed because influencers were dressed so much more casually. The the press was all with suits and ties and and very and I think because a lot of them are from the financial uh, field because uh, it was crypto related. Oh yeah, but mm-hmm. but they were you know so much more formal and and even though I didn't recognize who the press was, you could still pick them out from the influencers were a lot more casual with hoodies and flip flops, and um and while it was useful to see the lanyards to to tell if they were press or not, it it didn't really matter at, at the end of the day because they weren't going to approach you or if they were, you just kind of moved out of the way and tried to lose them. Yeah. And, and everything is like all the worlds are colliding because I, I keep telling people like, I'm not interested in making this a super like metaverse watch type podcast, like right. March to the, you know, to the cyber universe. But we are getting to a point where most people are dealing with some version of like, this will get here eventually. How do I get ready? And so the the upside of that is you've got YouTubers, streamers, game developers, people in finance, like you said, CEOs, entrepreneurs, everybody is yep. watching this same thing and swirling around one another. And it's like you said, you've got a bunch of people in a crowd who would have never stood in the same room, you know, five years ago. Now everyone's trying to figure out the same stuff. And it's like, what's my job? Who do I even talk to anymore? <laughs> like uh, the, the real thing is like, I can have a discussion with anyone and everyone's guess is as good as everyone else's. And it's just fun to see what observations people are making and what their guesses are. Cause who knows, you know? Well, the funniest thing is, uh, and I think this will go to the topic that we're, we'll focus on is I've, uh, I've spoken at a few conventions, done some panels and so forth. And sometimes they'll have what's called a green room. And if uh, your listeners don't know, that's just kind of a room where you can get free coffee and beer and food and whatever and kind of relax if you're a, a, a VIP, not VIP really, but just someone hosting a panel or someone with a booth or something. And every time someone comes in that room, everyone turns around and you can feel them kind of sussing each other out. Like, who is this fucker that's coming in? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and some of the influencer people came in with like five photographers and lighting people and all this stuff. And they wanted a picture by this window where you could see the convention kind of down below and they're up above on this top floor of the green room. And other people were more casual and, uh, you know, just there for the free donuts. So it's strange being on the other side of that after going to conventions so much as a, as a high school student. How, how many conventions have you been involved with on the other side now? Cause I mean, this is, this is something you're yeah. doing a lot more often than I am. <laughs> right. So I've been doing panels at conventions since 2012. So this will be about 10, 10 years, 11 years. Uh, and, and the first ones I, I did actually was kind of as a joke to get my friends and I in there for free and go, Oh, let's do a, a podcast as a way to get in as a panel. Cause at the, in 2012, a podcast was a somewhat new concept. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was still the first one we got into was like the one that was worth the most money if you look at what they would charge for a three day pass. But it was something called LeakyCon. It was a Harry Potter convention. It's in different cities around the world every year. I don't even like Harry Potter. And I got <laughs> um, eaten alive at this panel. Uh, my wife and her friends 
went and they man my uh they did such a good job of getting some more people to come even though the crowd was pretty modest but we were talking about the movies and, and the books i'd sent kind of skimmed over i didn't i didn't really read and the and the movie i liked the most was um i think order of the phoenix the fifth one the one that was more like a legal drama and people hated me for that in the crowd <laughs> because that's the one that's the least like the books so so there you go but you um on the other end like it was a real auto out of body experience the first time because I was used to going to all these panels and you're on the other end and you're like, Oh, all these questions I'm getting from the audience are horrendous. How do I, how do I not answer these questions or, or try and give them a quick answer and move on to someone else. And as these conventions have become more popular people, the audience is more comfortable with asking questions and that's not always a good thing, but you still have the freedom to not answer a question or skip someone over or not feel guilty about, you know, not answering people. Uh, the one thing I have done from the beginning that I think has been useful is I've had, um, I have, you know, these trivia questions that aren't really trivia questions. It's like, what's your name or what's your X-Men comic you like, or, or something very basic related to the topic. And I give out prizes for free. And if you say we have free prizes, that gets more people to show up. It also gets more kids to show up. And the kids look sad when they don't get called on for anything, but yeah, <laughs> um, that's, that's part of what you have to, part of what you have to deal with. Dude, this is, I would read a, like a convention survival guide or something like, like that could be a good project for you for sure. I think so. Yeah. That's a good idea. I, w- I would it's, check that out because I'm, I'm bound to get roped into one at some point and I would, I would yeah. be looking for all every and all piece of advice. Yeah. Right. Like I've never had um, a booth at a convention, but I have had um, uh, Thrasher, my, my co-host of uh, my podcast, SequelCast2 and Friends at SequelCast2.com. It's part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Uh, it um, She has done a lot of uh, conventions with uh, with her partner uh, selling selling things. And those booths, like you think like, oh, it's a booth. Like they charge sometimes like $200 for those things. Like they're yeah. quite expensive and more so if you want electricity to have a TV showing something on a loop. Yeah. Like it's, I, that's why I've never done it. I've thought about it. I thought, Oh, that'd be fun to sell books or something, but I don't even think I would break even. Um, I might try it one day, but it's, uh, when you speak at a convention, at least in my experience, you don't get paid. Uh, however you get in for free, it used to be you and your co-host and a plus one for each could get in for free, but places have gotten stricter about that. But what I'd recommend, uh, if you or your listeners are interested in it, even if you have a podcast with not that many listeners, that part doesn't really matter. You don't. If they ask about your listeners, um, you tell them, but most of the time they won't. And if it's something more local, you can probably get in. And it's a way to get in for free. It's um, You can prepare slides if you want. I like to, but you don't have to. But it, it's a different energy doing it with a live crowd. I think it's, in, in a way, it's more fun. Um, you have the strict time limit of 45 minutes. They, uh, they don't always give you water. They don't <laughs> always give you enough microphones. Like there's these little things you have to ask for that you might not, uh, get otherwise. So that, that part is, uh, is interesting. And they usually will put you like on the last day of the convention if you're not that popular. But yeah. sometimes I think the, the one I did that had the most people, we had like 50 or 60 people show up for the one on the Uwe Boll video game movies. <laughs> and it had less to do with the topic and more to do that we were put next to a room where uh, I think the angry video game nerd had something like two hours before. 
And it was yeah. just because the room was in proximity to this popular thing <laughs> that we got some bleed off of that. They needed a place to sit while they waited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty easy process. I, I'd, I'd recommend it. Uh, they, all these conventions have like a, a tight deadline of when you apply for these things and uh, they get back to you pretty quickly. If they don't accept you, you can, I've done this, I think once or twice I've, I've complained and they've let me in anyway. So, <laughs> but it just depends on how desperately they need people as part of it. Yeah. I'll say this. I've had two or three convention experiences fall through. One yeah. was I was, I was part of a local co-op group that uh, had a member who was asking about how can I get an event started myself? Because he was from a more rural area um, about an hour, hour and a half outside of town. And this group put on their own event once a year. And he was like, I love what you guys do. I come to it every year. How can I start my own event in our area? And I mean, they, the group shit all over. I couldn't believe the responses he got like the very first one was from one of the leaders of the group who was like, why would you do this instead of coming to ours? And I thought like, that was not the question. So yeah. all I did was I reached out to that guy separately and said, fuck those guys. Don't listen to that. If you want to have yeah. an event, if you can get a space, you can get the, you know, a couple of sponsors to help out. Fantastic. Hold your event. I told him, if you get this done, I would love to come speak at it. I, I'd be happy to, I don't need money for it. Right. We'll do a, we'll do a live podcast. It would be awesome. I would love to do that. And sure enough, like it was, it was years. It was a couple of years later. This guy uh, messages me again. He goes, Hey, good news. I've got this thing lined up. It's going to be this, uh, I don't know, September, whatever it was. And I would yep. love to have you come take part in like a panel discussion. It's going to be at like a, it was at like a mall or something. I was like, great. Sounds good. I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm in. And as we got closer, he was like, he goes, here's what I need you to do. He goes, you, because you have been involved in game development, you are going to lead the panel on game publishing. And I said, that's not entirely what I do. I said, my knowledge is your knowledge. I'm happy to show up. I'll answer any question I can, but I may not be the best guy to lead this just to let you know. And a couple of days later, he gets back to me and goes, by the way, would you be comfortable if it was just you? I said, well, that's not a panel, by the way. <laughs> that's that's just right. a, a, a speaker speaking on something that in my case, I don't know really anything about. I'm a sworn independent developer up and down. And, uh, and, and then I was going to go to a booth and sell books or whatever the plan was. And then he got back to me like it came up because you mentioned this. He goes. We cannot get you electricity over there, by the way. <laughs> like, you want me to hang out all day and try to like record supplemental like podcast stuff and, and everything? And like, how is this? I said, I don't think this is going to work, dude. And that was like one of about two or three situations where either there was going to be like no electricity or the, the price mm. went up at the last minute. And it was like, oh man, I would love to be involved in something, but it, it I want to feel like I'm being looked after a little bit. And there won't be any like super weird surprises uh, on the day of. So, yeah, I'm that's why I say like anyone who has expertise on this, I'm all about it. You know, right. Like um, I've had happen not at conventions, but at, at bars and stuff. Uh, 
I've had random people recognize me from Twitter and try to talk to me. And <laughs> that was not a pleasant experience. I was as polite as I could be, but like to be, I wouldn't even call it famous at all, really, but to have a random person approach you and go, Oh, Hey, blah, 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 blah. It's like, I don't know who you are. You're getting very <laughs> close to me. This is before COVID mind you, but you know, it's like, it's a real kind of what the hell moment. Um, and at if you're speaking at a convention and people come to you and stuff for photos and stuff like that's different. That's more of a controlled environment. And yeah. uh, the advantage too of like doing a smaller place closer to where you live is you don't have to pay for transportation. You don't have to pay for a hotel. You don't have to, um, you know, you're probably not getting paid anyway. So there's all those sort of things uh, as well that, that helps with that whole situation. Yeah. Um, one time, boy, this this is a, a weird one. I'm sure you haven't heard this story, but one time I was on a cruise with my wife. One of the only times I've done okay. anything like this. I was on a cruise boat and I ran into somebody who I knew was going to be there because we were part of a big Facebook group. And through through happenstance, like we were on the same cruise ship, but we did not know each other well. And this dude came up to me and pulled out his phone and he goes, I've got your game on my phone. And I said, I think you might be confused about who I am because I've done one indie game and it was for small children. I said, I, I am a game developer. As nice that you would think that. I'm sure you don't have my game on your phone. But he did. It, wow. <laughs> he had he had letter taps on his phone, which isn't even out there anymore. And it was. <laughs> I. I was, I paused for a moment. I'm like, is this, did my wife put you up to this? Like, what, what is going on here? And, um, I, he was just, he was a nice guy. He was trying to be supportive and, and whatever. And I, <laughs> I'm suspicious of that because my family doesn't even support me like that. Like my extended family, my wife and child, fantastically supportive, but like neither of my parents know I made a game. <laughs> you know? I will say, here's a kind of a fun story when I was, uh, working at this, uh, gaming convention part of what we had to do is kind of escort we had uh i can talk about this loosely but like we had um vips that, that kind of got the premier level tickets from uh from a uh, an asian country and and we were kind of going from place to place and we go to this auditorium and uh, it was a mixture of americans and these uh, uh asians and we there was supposed to be a presentation the presentation wasn't ready so we were like, oh, just, just sit down in the seats and, and relax and talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> and um, and the Americans all went and took whatever seat they wanted. All the Asians like stood uh, ramrod straight, wouldn't move around. And I, I had to point out to them, oh, please sit down. And they all kind of, you know, did a half bow and said, oh, thank you very much. And they all sat down. <laughs> and like I waited 30 seconds to do that. And it felt like an eternity. <laughs> and I only knew to do that from like a trip I took to Japan. I don't know, like 15 years ago where you just were kind of involved in a culture in uh, it wasn't the same country these people were from, but like involved in a similar kind of culture. And there's all these sort of, it just made me think of a lot of subtleties and just not to take such things for granted, even just like uh, social habits. Yeah. <laughs> reading, uh, reading the room is the wrong thing. Cause you're not always in like even indoors when this stuff happens, but my sure. little experiences with, global travel have been so eye-opening like it's it's not just 
something people say, like to some degree, you have to leave the country to learn about, you know, the way of the world a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. we, <laughs> almost to the point that like, this was a long time ago, like 15 years ago plus, but I've, I've been out of the country when people sort of nervously approached me and my friends like, Oh, are, are you guys Americans? And I, I'm always tempted to go, we're from Canada. <laughs> just, just because I feel like there would be a less strong reaction in case maybe they didn't want to talk to somebody from America. And again, this is not recent or political in nature. It's just like, I want to be looked at as a little more of a, like a citizen of the world, just to learn from the people around me. Cause I, I feel like they, they get that idea. Like this person, if this person's from America, he's not going to want to learn about me or my culture. And that's the opposite. Like, I absolutely want to know, uh, like, what's your life? Like, I'm, I'm the guest here. I'm the visitor here. Teach me, show me like, let's see what's going on here. Yeah, I had a deeply embarrassing experience at a restaurant in Tokyo where it was, um, do you know who Akira Kurosawa is? I do not. Okay, he's a Japanese director from like the, we lived until the 90s, but um, like Star Wars and stuff was based off of some of his movies. Ah. Um, anyhow, he has a restaurant in the, in Tokyo near the, the Emperor's Palace and all these things. But um, I was there and one of the only, I guess they don't get a lot of foreigners there because the entire kitchen staff was staring at my friend and I. <laughs> and I order a uh, soba noodles and I had never had these before. It's a summer dish and, uh, they, they, uh, put a, a bowl of, uh, no- or the noodles are put on these, uh, bamboo slats. So they have holes in between them and to the side is a little dish with the sauce and not knowing what to do. I picked up the sauce and dumped it on the noodles and like diehard or something, three waiters ran out from the back and say, no, 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 no. Because the sauce started dripping in between the sauce onto the, the table underneath the holes. And you're supposed to, with the uh, chopsticks, because this was a summer noodle cold dish, you're supposed to pick up the noodles, dip it in the soy sauce, and then eat it. And how would you have known? <laughs> you, know? uh, you wouldn't have. <laughs> right. But it just I just felt very embarrassed and, and sheepish. Uh and, and as we walked out of the rest, as we were going out of the restaurant, my little guidebook says, you should always ask for a discount. And I decided maybe I'll try that here. And they didn't understand what I was saying. And they said, ah, okay, we'll give you a tour of the executive private rooms. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it had all these like paintings and samurai props from the movies and stuff. It was very neat. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with me asking like discount to or, or something, but, uh, <laughs> Had I not asked that, that wouldn't have happened. So, what a sweet bonus, though. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very, uh, very strange. My uh, my closest approximation of that was uh, trying to order like soda in Europe, like a like Coke oh. or Pepsi or something, mm-hmm. and I, being a young person just thought like why would this be strange at all <laughs> and like uh, the immediate response from the waitress was kind of some version of like oh jesus christ because <laughs> they had to like and and she didn't really let on until she went to the back but i noticed like people were like running around not sure what to do and i i wanted to kind of go like no forget it bring anything water is that better like i i don't know what to do and they brought me like a children's party cup full of warm coke or something and i i felt i felt like a dick uh, i felt awful for just i clearly made them scramble and this was like a pizza restaurant so i didn't think it was going to be that uh, 
unusual, but I sh- looking back, I should have looked for like tea. I, d- I still don't entirely know what I should have gone for. You know, maybe they had like the the seltzer water or the tonic water. Yeah, it's it's tough to to tell at these things. I mean, yeah, that was something that was very strange going into some of the like the video game stores in Akihabara and Tokyo. I don't know if this is still the case, but it used to be where um, if you go to the basement, that's where they have like the real scummy, uh, like a homemade like kentai games and tentacle <laughs> things. And it was like in the basement and it was just as like gross as it sounds. But if you just <laughs> go one floor up, it's just a regular video game store with all the little, uh, you know, Final Fantasy or a Pokemon or whatever it is, a little plastic figures. That feels like there's a commentary being <laughs> made by the layout. I, I think you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, it was literally subterranean. It was, uh, st- stuff was more packed together. The, the vibe, even from the person behind the checkout counter is like much different. Yeah. Yeah. In, and uh, it was consistent in several stores. And at first we're like, Oh, we're just going to see what's in the basement. Like, Holy shit. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. so funny. Um, in France, in, in the greater, Paris area. Um, I went to a game store where there was a basement. Somebody had to let me know about cause otherwise I wouldn't have known it was there. But when I got down there, it was all super cool, like used retro stuff and vintage things. Oh, and, and they yep. had like a, they've got a, like a retro gaming magazine over there. And I bought several issues. I was thrilled that I had found my way down there. Cause that was awesome. Like that was pretty cool. Mm. I wish I wish I remember what that magazine was. Um, I'm sure I don't still have those, but if you're in Paris, there's some there's some good retro game uh, stuff to shopping to do unexpectedly. Uh, well, here's a tip. So, I mean, if you're ever at a convention and you're at a panel and you want to ask a question to the person. That's at the panel, like, let's say, I don't know, it's Kevin Smith or someone speaking. Just immediately start walking up to the microphone and just wait before the thing starts. That's something people didn't used to do, but people do it all the time now. So if you, if you wait to ask a question when they say, oh, come and ask a question, there will already be a line of like a dozen people in front of you and you probably won't get to go. Yeah. I had a guest on the show tell me that he did exactly that so that he could ask Gary Vee something in uh, oh. at some event in like Brooklyn or something. And he got to be, he was one of like two or three people who actually got to present something to Gary V and, and yeah, he said that exact same thing. He said, I didn't wait. I stood right there the entire time. I knew where the mic was going to be. And I just stood there. I said, good for you. You know, (laughs) like it's people respect that kind of, um, you know, I'm determination, I guess is the word. Like they, they see that and who doesn't want to hear from that guy, you know? Sure. And I mean, also on the other end if someone, if you're at a panel and people are asking you a question, you want to listen to see if there's an actual question to answer. (laughs) <laughs> because if they're younger, if they're nervous, they'll, they'll go on and on and on, but they won't really be a question. And you don't want to be like, and your point is, but like, <laughs> oh, do you have a question? Oh, that's cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah. A lot of this is just, it. there's a lot of crossover between this and how you would handle like PR interviews. This is something we've talked about on the podcast before. Like if someone offers to do an article about something and, and take quotes from you, like what, what made me think of that was you said like, it's okay to skip a question or say, I'm not going to, you know, address that. That's like the number one thing about that kind of article is like, if you weren't ready for it and you're not entirely sure 
where yeah. you stand on it, don't don't put it out there, you know? Right, because oh, there's just so many interviews where they just want like the one question about the the big topic of the week, and then that becomes what the headline is, and that becomes what everything else is. It's just you have to protect yourself a bit and don't not be a dick necessarily, but just know what you want to answer and know what you don't want to answer. Yeah. And uh, if if you think something's too personal and you don't want to answer it, then don't answer it. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And I would say, get yourself in the mindset where you don't think of yourself as being a dick by protecting yourself sure. from that, that situation. Nobody wants to be misunderstood and you know, a good a good journalist, a good attendee, nobody will look at that as kind of a, a slight or, you know, something offensive. Sure. If you say just, I don't have the answer for that, that, that you might want to hear, uh, or that you, that you might be hoping for. I just, sorry about that. <laughs> you know, pretty simple. Yeah. A friend of mine had a horrendous example of a bad question from a, an audience member. He went to a panel where, um, and it was like Billy D. Williams was was speaking. Uh, it was Lando Calrissian in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And this guy from the question was like, oh, you know, what are some stuff you like about uh, – the, the, the first question the guy had was like, oh, what are some stuff you like about, you know, living in New York? You lived there a long time. Or you've had property there a long time. And he's like, oh, you know, I like walking to the park. I like doing this. And then the guy's follow-up question was like, no, what's your, what's your home address? Because I live there and I'd like to come visit you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is like, um, you know, Martin Scorsese, King of Comedy or the Joker or kind of crazy, not so sort of questions. And and his answer, uh, and I'm, I'm hearing this like third hand, was like as polite as possible. But basically the, the moderator had to like step on and just say like, no, it was <laughs> deeply inappropriate. What are you doing? Like, wh- how would you get it in your mind that this might be okay? <laughs> Right. Oh. And then you're, you're there waiting in line for probably 20 minutes to ask your question. And that's what you come up with. Yeah. That's a lot of effort to, to lob that one at him. Like what, how did you see this going? I don't know. It's, you know, I'm, it, I'm sure it made sense in the person's head at the time, but it's, you, uh, you just never know. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, well, what are you, what are you playing right now? What are you, what are you enjoying? It's a good question. Um, just because I've seen a lot of friends play it and it happens to be on sale, I did pick up the uh, Diablo 2 Resurrected. Oh, I've um, got that. On PC. Mm-hmm. And um, I have to say, like, the, the graphics improvements are impressive, and yet it still, you know, feels like the same games. They added stuff like picking up the gold automatically, some quality of life changes. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't a radical uh, change. Like, I, I was sort of kind of nervous about the other one I picked up, it wasn't on sale and I've heard nothing but bad things about, but I'm just too curious not to is the Warcraft three reforged. And I haven't tried that one yet, uh, but that one, they finally added ranked matches, which that it didn't launch with that as a feature mm-hmm. when, um, having ranked, uh, real time strategy matches has been such a thing in blizzards wheelhouse for decades. Now just kind of shows you how quickly that one was, uh, was rushed out the door. Yeah. So I would say mainly those two. And then I've played a little bit of this simulation game called Weedcraft. I don't know about that one. It's about running a marijuana dispensary. It mm-hmm. kind of feels like a mobile game a little bit without as you click on things. But it it, it has a, a pretty amusing story mode, which I wasn't <laughs> expecting. Interesting. I, I remember when 
lemonade stand was a thing like on the on the Texas yeah, Instruments yeah. calculator and somebody right. made like a drug cartel game or something and we yes. thought that was the most subversive like deep dark shit imaginable and we acted like the game itself was drugs like people were sneaking it around who can get this for oh, me yeah. what if we get caught <laughs> and now it's uh now we look at like simulate whatever you want strategize about anything you can imagine who cares you know it's not even a big deal yeah you have what is it pc building simulator 2 is coming out yeah i played uh, power washer simulator have you tried that no no is that your <laughs> cleaning your <laughs> your uh your driveway what are you? it literally is it's it's you are a contractor with a power washer and like you literally start by power washing the van you're going to use for the business which i thought was clever and then you take contracts. It's a little like house flipper, but all you're doing mm-hmm. is power washing like everything on the property. And it's good for a couple of play sessions. I Nobody's going to go competitive in this game or, or whatever, but um, it was very satisfying. And uh, I will. Tr- that's, it's just a testament to how I will try any game like this simulating anything. And there's there's one for uh, lawn maintenance now also lawnmower simulator yeah. or something right there was um a really dumb one called uh, i think it's it must be free or something but it was called shower with your dad simulator <laughs> and it's just like a it's just like a wario where kind of mini game thing where each mini game is worse than the last <laughs> and yet yeah. the, the mechanics are they're a good a combination of good and bad where it's addicting in spite of the fact that it's like really sloppy controls And it it just goes at a quick pace and it's, um, you know, it's just about what you would expect. I think from the title, it's nothing more (laughs) and nothing less. It could get very dark and it doesn't And of all the things to have a simulation of why have that, but you know, it's a title that got people's attention and it got a lot of coverage at the time. So (laughs) I'm sure a lot of people with some very earnest games who couldn't get any traction <laughs> probably don't have the best opinion of shower with your dad's simulator but uh kids if you ask me if this is a world where shower with your dad's simulator can take off why shouldn't you try anything you can think of just whatever's why in your not? heart there's, you know there's there, there's dating sims where it's just um it's all orcs right there's <laughs> so up. many super specific stuff and it's it's impressive, even if the quality of this stuff individually isn't great, that you have other even platforms like itch.io uh, mm-hmm. to put these things on where you don't have to go through Steam if you don't want to pay the $100 you know, yearly fee to be able to just submit stuff. It's it, Yeah, I mean, you can never... It's difficult to find a reason to be bored. If you're looking for something random to play, you can find something free or close to it. That at least, uh, yeah, it's, it's worth expanding your horizons sometimes, even if it's something you hate. Yeah, it, itch is so great. Spend an afternoon once a month or so just going through random weird things that catch your eye on itch. Like your life will be better off for it. There's no there's no doubt about it because anybody can just put. It's it's a great another great place for smaller projects that there used to be no place for. You know, it, it used to be difficult to have any sort of presence as a developer of small things. And now just little weird, wonderful stuff. Uh, it's just the place I, I'm a fan. And speaking of which you saw the, uh, what's the company, the vampire, the masquerade people have a deal where if you do, an, you can do an indie game with their license. 
Like, I think there's a limit. You can't have Vampire the Masquerade in the title or something, and it's not canon. But you can use their world, their characters, their settings up to a point. And I think they do, like, a they get some commission off of it. Hmm. But that you would even make that available for, for fans. I mean, to think of, like, Lucasfilm doing that with Star Wars or, or something would be insane. But it's a smart. Yeah. It's a smart way to get essentially free advertising for a property that people might not otherwise know about. I like that. I like that concept, yeah. and I think there's room for more of that. Like, obviously, if you have a right. fairly delicate IP, and and it, it's hard to describe Star Wars as that, except that they have to be very careful what they allow whatsoever. I understand that, but if you've got something that's a little more Adult oriented is probably not the term, but like less family oriented and mm-hmm. you have room for some like slightly anything goes, whatever. Yes, that's great attention for you. That's a great opportunity for somebody who would normally not get to do like a uh, pseudo licensed project. I mean, a lot of people win in that scenario. Right. So, I mean, maybe we'll we'll see more of that or even uh, there, there's properties that do it for a game jam, right? Where they say, Oh, you can do a cartoon network game jam from this time to this time. Oh, that'd be these great. characters. So it's, um, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens. And that so many of these indie titles are even showing up in the consoles. Now it's a, that, that market has just really opened up so much. Absolutely. Um, well, time has passed. Uh, why don't you let yes. people know <laughs> where to look for you online and, uh, we'll let you go till next time. Sure. Yeah, um, main place, I guess, is Twitter, twitter.com slash M-A-T-W-B-T. Uh, the podcast is at sequelcast2.com. Sequelcast2 and Friends, we look at movies and video game franchises. We are, I was going to see what we're currently looking at, but by the time this comes out, I'm not sure <laughs> what that'll be. Um, I, I guess it'll probably be stuff like uh, the the British science fiction Quatermass films, which are some of their early stuff from uh, Hammer, better known for their horror pictures in England in the 60s. And um, what else? Yeah, my books and stuff are at matwbt.com. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Well, buddy, pleasure as always. And uh, Absolutely. We'll, Thanks so much. We'll check in on you again soon. Sounds good. If you enjoy the show, please think about hitting follow or subscribe. Won't cost you a thing, and it's a big deal on this end. We have show notes at CodeWritePlay.com, along with articles, news, and other stuff. You can follow us on social. The show is at GameDevPod. The website is at CodeWritePlay. And me, Todd Mitchell, at MechaToddZilla with one D and two L's. Don't hesitate to reach out to help us make this the show you want to hear, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.